Welcome to episode 22 of Expanding Beyond. Hi, Monica. How are you doing today? Welcome, everyone. How am I doing today? I'm doing sleepy. Does that count? <laughs> uh. <laughs> it counts. It's on the weekend then. It's yeah. fine. In between the weather, uh, going uh, late to bed yesterday, uh, the cold, uh, and uh, one hour uh, bike uh, to and uh, back from the city center, yeah, I'm sleepy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm also sleepy, but that's because I had a lot to eat and the beer. <laughs> that's um, that's a good excuse. <laughs> As promised, um, today we will talk uh, about Ruby Days uh, 2021. Mm -hmm. um, but before we start with that, um, let's maybe we I have a smaller topic to talk about. So um, I have this side project. Um, which is just a Rails app for, for one of my hobbies, uh, being fountain pens. And some months ago, I noticed some uh, uptick in signups. So the signups happen mm -hmm. just pretty simple via device. And then I noticed that there are a lot of accounts where uh, that that have been created, but then n n they've never clicked on the confirmation emails. Mm -hmm. And I noticed. Or my sus I suspected then um, that uh, those were just uh, bots doing the signups. I ignored that for a long time, but eventually, uh, after getting I don't know how many um, out of office notices or stuff like that from these random email addresses that they use, I thought I'd take a crack at fixing this and discovering or, or sort of detecting if 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 I had bots signing up. Because I don't know, it's not even though it's a confirmation email, it's still more or less spam that you're sending out to random people. Yeah, which is not so nice. And yeah. it also also sounded like an interesting problem to solve because, I mean, there's a lot of material out there on that topic already, and I just wanted to try that myself. In the show notes, you'll find a a Twitter thread um, from me with links to the actual code changes pull requests I made. Um, some of them were a bit not so nice because I actually didn't deploy what I thought I deployed because I A, didn't write unit tests and B, didn't test it manually, so it didn't work. But yeah, I ended up with a, with, with a fun solution where you just have this additional input field um, that you hide via CSS. And then if, get, if, it, get filled, get, if it gets filled out, then you know it must be a bot. Let's see if that really works. So I need to let this run for a few days. I've already marked a few user accounts as bots, but mm -hmm. maybe I can find. Maybe it's enough, and if not, I can sort of play around with additional things. I just want to avoid having to do captures and stuff. Of course. <laughs> Have you noticed already like a decrease in subscription rate? Um, I I mean I sort of I accept these uh, sort of signups, mm -hmm. uh, but I just don't send out a confirmation email so that I can track it afterwards. So it's it's too early. There's always spikes in so for a few days. There's nothing. And then on other days, there's like 200 uh, signups and stuff mm. like that. So I have to wait a bit to see if this actually works or not. But yeah. it's fun to to try this out. Of course. And why don't you want to implement the recapture? 
well, for one, I would assume it would cost money, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> Which for a side project is always something I try to avoid. And additionally, if I can just do it like that, the sign-up process is still easier than, I don't know, randomly having to, I don't know, find the five traffic signs in this grid of pictures and stuff like that. I don't want to, if I can avoid it, I'd like to have to not do those extra steps for users. Yeah. I mean, that's why I said it makes sense the first time around. <laughs> like, that's what I thought. But, you know, I'm trying to get into the habits to ask more often verifying questions. Because um, I've noticed this also while I'm doing interviews, I don't dig really deep into uh, into much. Like I just accept the answer of the interviewee. And, uh, and I mean, of course, I draw some conclusions out of that, but, uh, you know, well, not to the level of grilling someone, but mm -hmm. exercise my curiosity. Yeah, so maybe next in the next episode I can report back if 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 I remember uh, if this has actually worked or not. Yes, please. And one thing that someone pointed out is that you with those things you have to be careful uh, to keep it accessible. So for screen readers and stuff like that, I do not know how much CSS they understand. I mean, for this field, it's just a simple display none, um, but I made sure to have a label that says, please fill this out if you are a bot. So hopefully <laughs> even a screen reader user won't uh, fill this out. Yeah, they, they should they should know, let's say. They, they should realize. But yeah, this this was my, my adventure into uh, detecting bots. Um, yeah, but there, there has to be something with bots out there because I've also noticed like in the past month or so uh at work we have uh we have noticed an uptick in um uh in bots attacks of different kind uh but there's definitely something out there um signups um uh, but but also uh signing in um kind of things again um sort of makes it clear that you need stuff like confirmation emails because that sort of blocks blocks the people anyway to to sort of the bots to actually then sign in yeah because that's sort of the step that's missing at least well, for most of them yeah exactly like for sign up yes we we do have that but you know especially with this uh, facebook thing that you got a lot of data or there's maybe some uh login leak somewhere so a huge database uh, the bot just tries uh, accounts and if people and people do reuse uh, their password and their email then you just get in and you just ugh, make a mess uh, everywhere yeah i mean there it's it's kind of uncritical for me because that site is so so tiny uh, there aren't even 2000 real accounts mm -hmm. so i haven't really had to deal with that yet yeah you are interesting then i guess <laughs> as small as it is it's still interesting yeah i don't know why but yeah somehow somehow it is interesting to the bots mm -hmm. 
and and I noticed I never really had to deal with with topics like that because for all the companies I the, all the companies I had worked for were basically B two B companies. Mm-hmm. So there is generally no way for users to just sign up, right? Yeah, you either have this single sign on with whatever provider the other company uses, or you manually create the accounts. Yeah. So that was that was basically the draw for me because I had never never had to really uh, look into that issue myself before. So it was it today I learned. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, it of course takes several days because you have to yes. let the thing run for a day before you check again and then realize that what you implemented is only half half of the feature. I wonder how the big boys do it because to me the current feeling is that you it it's a game of uh, cat and mouse uh, yeah probably it's like you, you notice a certain kind of pattern a certain kind of attack and then you put some defenses in place and then i mean some maybe some things are kind of obvious so you especially if you are a bigger player than a website with 2000 users um you put some you can put some things up front uh, in your in your design of your application but fundamentally it's like even what we do now uh, you uh, you apply some countermeasure and then you notice that the bot or the attacker or whomever changes their approach based on what you have done um so one of our most recent attacks was uh, someone was trying to i think it, they were trying to read workouts like days that we generate for our users and they were simulating a, like they, they were faking a particular user agent so as if it was one of our uh, one of our apps actually sending the the request of course we have something else in place for authenticating legit requests um but uh, there were there was this huge spike in weird attempts uh, for some of our endpoints that was like <laughs> We still cannot figure out, for the love of God, what they were trying to accomplish with that. Yeah, I also I'm not sure what what the what anyone would get out of that signing up for my service, but maybe they would figure it out one if they had gotten it. Yeah, like I could see, um, for example, we had uh, attacks that were more like uh, it was a dictionary attack, so attempts to log in. And usually these things are done, uh, this kind of attack is to validate a, what what I was saying before. Like you have a, a dictionary of uh, emails and passwords and you, you know, you want to try and see what, which ones are valid and they're used by users uh, because then those are valid, um, that, that's a valid piece of information that you can get about that, that person. Yeah, it's more uh, so, valuable than yeah. yeah. So uh, that that I can I can see why you might want to do something like that. Another kind of attack we had was registering. I think it was one user in particular, or ah no no no, it was like this. So they were logging in with uh, used or like with password, email combination already present on the system. The script would then change the username uh, of the user, and it would start spamming other users with um, 
whatever they wanted. Uh, it's not safe for work, so I can't really mm -hmm. say. But <laughs> um, so we had this you this flood of um, of literal literally spam for a paid service. Then um, so there again, I can see, but signing up, curious. I mean, there there you can have a user profile, and you can there is the possibility uh, to have markup. Uh, markdown and the markdown section there, so you could, in theory, put spam content in there. Yeah. So you could I don't do that. Know, you could. Uh, I'm trying to think. Uh, you could impersonate someone. That's another option. Identity theft. Um, but um, well, on the other hand, it's nice to figure that stuff out for mm -hmm. for a side project that's not super important, instead of having to deal with it. Yeah, less scary <laughs> than uh, than production. <laughs> yeah. All right. So that was my adventure into uh, this was your bots adventure this and week. stuff like that. Yeah, and then I guess we can go to the uh, retrospective. Let's call it like that. Yes. Of Ruby days, yeah, Monica G was the MC. Exactly, that's <laughs> correct. To say it like that, <laughs> and I was just an attendee. Maybe I start. I can sort of uh, give you my 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 very broad summary mm -hmm. overview of. Of how I felt about it. So um, obviously, it's not the same thing as a real conference where you meet people in real life. Yeah. So I had a pretty nice headache afterwards from yes. staring at the screen for so many hours, and I can see from from other people that sort of uh, the one woman we talked to then had to leave and mm -hmm. do stuff for work. So that's also, I guess, one of the downsides of a virtual conference because it's easy to get sidetracked and go somewhere else whereas if you were in some kind of venue it would be much harder to, to yeah. get sucked back into work i guess totally noticed that myself it's um it's it's very easy also in other conferences i uh, that's why i'm saying i've noticed it myself it's just yeah you are in like you have to really be conscious and turn off stuff otherwise not a chance on the other hand what i noticed at least for myself what was uh nice um to sort of have the the chat with the participants mm -hmm. while you were listening to the talk at least for me that was easier to to communicate that way with people than whereas whereas at a real conference someone as shy as me probably wouldn't talk to that many people so ah. in that sense that actually worked better for me so yeah, also, pros and cons, yeah. Also at work, I've noticed that the having the chat available increases uh, the um, the chance of uh, people being engaged in the in the conversation, and it's also funnier because you can joke and not disturb the the speaker. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that is true. That is true. How was it for you as as a sort of org almost so sort of almost work? at the conference um hmm, that's a good question so one one thing if i have to compare to the experience of um emceeing a live conference an in-person conference i mean there are also some differences because of the uh, different organizers uh but if i compare it to the same conference it's um it's more work emotional work let's say Mm -hmm. Because you have to, like what I like to do, you don't have to, but what I like to do in a remote setting is 
still for the people to have as close as possible to a, a lively and uh, in-person experience. So if I'm not if I'm not introducing someone, uh, then I try to hang out in the chat. Uh, I try to also at lunch or during the breaks to be in the what what we call the hallway track, uh, so that you can meet other attendees. And because you are one of the organizers or the moderator, then you also have to engage more. You are the mm -hmm. one that is giving the pace and the vibe of the conversation. Yeah. So that is a little bit harder online also because people react differently online than than in person like if you are at a, at a conference in person you just go into the corridor or at the at the coffee bar you get something you find like three people talking and you just jump into the conversation or you go out it's it's distributed right it's yeah more and then distributed. and then sort of in this hallway track it's it's a bit weird right you you are there you you are talking to people and then you notice that there are some kind of basically anonymous listener yeah. listeners to your conversation and it's, it's a bit of a weird setup i must yes. say <laughs> maybe i don't know on the other hand you don't want to force everyone to turn on their their camera and mic right I don't know. no uh, again it depends a lot on the on the people um some people feel that it's like i'm I'm a huge believer in making people comfortable with uh with themselves therefore i also at work like when people are like but you have to turn your camera on yes but that's a symptom uh there are definitely people that don't like that at all and that's also fine to respect that kind of um feeling i'm ambivalent uh, yeah but yes it is a bit awkward to see the the eye observing <laughs> it's like yeah. the the interface telling you there's 10 people observing the conversation and you're talking with three yeah uh, <laughs> why are you listening to me yes, not participating. <laughs> <Even>. yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah so there's that uh what else um to some extent it's easier because you don't see the people looking at you uh you are literally just talking into a microphone and that's it like you see maybe yourself but you don't see people staring at you uh and that can be uh can be daunting uh, depends mm -hmm. uh it's also easier like you have a lot of notes uh so uh, it's like i split my screen i have two screens one is for looking at the stream and the other one uh, and, and the main chat and the other one is the backstage uh so you have a, always a, a connection with the people organizing But then on the other screen, I also have my notes. So I have uh, something written down about the, the speaker. I have uh, what is going to happen next. Um, so to some extent, it's easier. I can, if I want to, I can totally look like I'm looking at the camera, but I'm reading. Um, so that makes you a little bit more comfortable than going mm -hmm. on stage and uh, just, just, um, And, and if you forget something, you have to improvise, right? Uh, so that's uh, <laughs> that's the yeah. other thing. What I super miss, and I think that that's the reason why uh, online conferences will never be anything like in person, especially for the for the Ruby community, uh, is it that um, after conference uh, environment. 
especially for the Ruby community where you have a lot of, uh, you know, like people like to hang out. Um, yeah, you can't uh, go out to dinner with Mats afterwards. Yes, true. Yeah. definitely you can't do that. And uh, especially for the Italian Ruby Day with, with another friend of mine, we started this kind of, it was kind of like a tradition. We would just hijack the uh, hashtag for the day of the conference and uh, organize spontaneous after parties. And I was like, we're going to go there. Uh, this speaker comes with us. That other person, like, we'll meet there at like 9.30 uh, and people would just show up. Uh, so it's a, it's an even, uh, even more spontaneous and informal setting. And it allows you to really gel with the, with the community in a fantastic way uh, mm -hmm. that I deeply, deeply miss. Yeah, we'll have to try again next year, I guess. <laughs> I I do hope that uh, next year we will be able to uh, to do it in person. Uh, yeah, hopefully. Although I do notice um, that going to to a virtual conference is sort of uh, there's there's somehow less overhead to doing it, right? Because mm -hmm. you can basically the day before you decide, ah, uh, let let me buy a ticket, and then you just you're just there. You don't have to organize anything. Yeah, especially for um, for conferences for uh, developers that don't cost an arm and a leg. It's like a ticket is what sixty euros, hundred euros. That's yep. poof. you can you can attend ten per year. Um, yeah. So it's uh, it's super easy to just you know oh, there's something next week. Let's let's see. You just need to ask for if it's during the working hour. You just need to ask for that day, and that's super convenient. This is something that, not as an organizer, but as a as an attendee, I like. Like, I had the possibility to attend conferences that I would have never had otherwise. Um, yeah. There are just too many out there, and some of them are super interesting, but they just take place in in a in a moment or in a place that it's too far, too expensive. Uh, but it doesn't fit with your calendar and uh, like this is much uh, it, the, the, the offer is broader let's, uh, uh, let's yeah. put it this way yeah <laughs> so on my on my list now are two more conferences uh, so one would be of course Euroco mm -hmm. I mean it would be would be great to go to to Finland this year but yeah I guess we'll have to make do of an online conference I haven't been in a few years to Euroco I think my last one was in Salzburg in Austria. And then I missed all the other ones after that. And then I don't know where I came across it. There's the uh, launch for Crystal version 1.0. That's mm -hmm. also a conference. So I might be going there as well. I have never really tried Crystal, but I mean, eventually I will have to, I guess. So maybe so that's a good start. this is something you never tried? No. I mean, I, uh, if... if Combine languages, then I'll I'll go with Rust, I guess. But mm -hmm. maybe it's interesting to look at. Yeah, I remember a friend of mine told me about Crystal like ages ago. This is the same guy that got me into Ruby, and he told me like, "Oh, this is good." Uh, so maybe I should start taking a look mm. <laughs> after those like five or six years. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean that that's exactly also my knowledge. It's interesting, especially for Rubyists. And then that's where I stopped, basically. <laughs> yeah. All right. And as to the conference, any... So I, I've, I've written down some notes on some of the 
talks. I mean, there was a lot of there was a lot of talk about Ruby three, of course. Yes, I've never used it in production yet because if you work for a with a working Rails app, then mm -hmm. it just it takes a while to upgrade stuff. Yeah, you want to be sure. But it was interesting to to hear about the type checking and also the pattern matching. Mm -hmm. What I found especially interesting was the keynote from Matt. Okay. Even though <laughs> his uh, video was a bit uh, lagging. Mm -hmm. I don't know what happened yeah. there. It was uh, not perfect, but at least the slides and the audio were fine. So it was cool. And what I... What I've sort of the the one thing that I found the most interesting there was that he said, as a as a language creator, you always have to innovate and you always have to provide something new to keep the language alive. Yeah, uh, what can you say? He is right, uh, especially when it's a language that yes, Ruby's used a lot, but it's also compared to others a niche language if you think about it so yeah. you have to fend not only against the um, the big players because if ruby doesn't work why why not using something else like php for example or python um so you have to be careful about that but you also have to be careful about the new kids on the block um, that have all this uh fancy new things imagine like i mean think about elixir Yeah, it's like 10 years younger uh, and it has all the nice things about Ruby Plus on top. Bam. And humans are humans. So there's uh, there's trends. Yeah, that's true. And sort of the second topic of his keynote was backwards compatibility, basically. Mm -hmm. And of course, that's that's sort of the other issue. <laughs> you try to innovate, but yet uh, you still have to be more or less backwards compatible. So he... I didn't really remember that it took that long, but apparently it took five years uh, for basically everyone to migrate from Ruby 1.8 to 1.9. Mm -hmm. And then there was, there's of course, all the other examples. I mean, the one that I know is from Python 2 to Python 3. I don't know how long Python 3 is out, but it's just now that most people are moving to it. <laughs> it's yeah. just ages if sometimes that. And let's not speak of Perl 6, which didn't even come out yet, I think. Yes. <laughs> yeah. There, like, I can imagine as a language owner, what what would you do? It's like, it's, this is not software that you can just pull out of the market. Like, for example, at, at work, we, we, we do, we want to be backward compatible. So as long as there's user on a certain version of our app, We will keep and maintain certain things, but there are ways for us to force users into a new uh, into a new version. Mm -hmm. If someone has their own server and it's hosted, it's like they can keep that stuff up as long as they want. Yeah, yeah, and then sort of um, the 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 next thing that was kind of interesting to me there was this uh, talk by Matjek. I don't even want to pronounce his last name. I had it written down. I don't have my notes now. <laughs> and there, so he he had this story about splitting out a service from from their monolith. And the the interesting bit for me there wasn't the actual te uh, technical uh, bit on how they did it, but mm -hmm. then in the end the the conversation about how do you do meetings and that they 
actually start their meetings with basically 10 minutes quiet time where everyone uh, gets to read whatever the topic is about. Sort of do going instead of requiring everyone to read uh, the material beforehand, they sort of say, hey, we acknowledge that not everyone's going to do that. So let's just take the time uh, in the beginning of the meeting and then everyone gets to read it. That yeah. is sort of, that's an interesting approach that I actually never, never really considered. That is something that Jeff Bezos requires from the people at Amazon. That's how uh, he decided to structure meetings. And I, I think that that's a, that's a, a very good point uh, that you just made. Uh, so let's just acknowledge that that's a fact and actively work so that it doesn't, it doesn't affect us. Mm -hmm. It's like, that's just part of reality. You can't do without, right? Uh, so you could lobby for people to come prepare to the meetings or uh, do this and do that. But again, humans are humans. So don't, don't swim upstream. <laughs> yeah. I mean, for, for it, it probably becomes even more um, important for people that are in basically meetings back to back. There I can see mm -hmm. that you just don't have the time to prepare, basically. I mean, that's true. That's still a dysfunction uh, of the of the meeting culture then. Um, yeah. Because you should have that kind of... Uh, as for meetings that are extremely or that are important above a certain level of importance, you have to have that time to prepare. Um, and it might not be on the spot, but you have to have some time. What I like about this is that it forces people to put some effort into the, um, the proposal of the meeting itself. And that sets the, the barrier a little bit higher than, oh, let's just put something in all these people's calendar. Mm, that's true. I hadn't really thought about it, right? You can't just go into the meeting, but you have to prepare something that yeah. the others can. What do read. you want yeah. us to have an opinion on? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's probably even more important. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Because the downside that I see about let's get into the meeting and read by then is that you have to, again, it depends on the importance of what you're going to address, but you don't have the time to really digest things and go through maybe pros and cons and, and, and things like that. So for some things, it, a little bit of pre-chewing might be, might be good. Yeah, that's true. And sometimes, I mean, depending on the, the person, at least for me, sometimes takes longer to really come up with a mm. proper opinion on things. Yeah, that's a, that could be a topic for another day. <laughs> I guess so. <laughs> because uh, I just had a, one of those connections, two, two neurons fired. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then sort of at the end, sort of where we started the conference with, uh, with Matt about mm -hmm. Ruby, we sort of ended on, on a, let's call it less technical uh, topic. Uh, the talk was called The Rising Ethical Storm in Open Source. Yes. Uh, by Caroline, Caroline Ada Emke, and where she basically argued for um, a different kind of license. Yes. Um, just sort of um, not something free for all, but something that sort of has an ethical component. So um, some years, probably not too many years ago, she started this. The, she, she wrote the first version of this Hippocratic license. Mm -hmm. And 
yeah, this is sort of her current, I don't know how to call it. Crusade sounds Crus too negative. Yeah. I don't know. It has this, uh, in English, it has a negative connotation, I think. Yeah. Uh, mission. Mission. Mission is nice. Yeah. So in the end, I, I got sort of, I have the side project in Rails and I luckily only had one additional contributor. So it was pretty easy to change my license. So yeah, I felt um, inspired afterwards to at least change it there, even though probably no one's going to use that project. <laughs> but <laughs> it felt felt good to at least do do a tiny tiny part. I mean, it's a as you said, it's a part. Um, yeah, it's so a statement more or less, more than anything, exactly. I guess. And if you think about it, so first thing first for the people that don't know about uh, Caroline Ada, she is also the person that we have to thank for the movement around a uh, code of conduct. Um, yeah. She was the first one to propose for, I don't remember exactly which uh, project uh, for which repo, but that we do have uh, a statement about how do we expect people to behave at uh, conferences, in meetups, in uh, events, so that everybody feels safe and included. Yeah, and these days, it, this is basically the norm, That's at least. Exactly, feel, right? That's the standard. Uh, I do remember the outrage back then. What are you thinking? Why are we doing this? This is bullshit. We yeah. But you have to remember what what kind of... I mean, there were so many incidents. Like there was even a RailsConf. Was it a keynote that wasn't fully appropriate? I don't remember the details. I it's been so long ago, that. but yeah. I mean, my two cents as an European, and I'm speaking about this from a position of privilege for sure. Sometimes certain statements can go far too far. <laughs> I won't digress now. It's a, it's a complex... It's really a complex uh, topic. So I, I also don't want to dismiss something so complex with, with just a couple of words. Um, but definitely there are things that just because you're not, you're not the subject of those things, for you are normal. And for others, are they make people uncomfortable. And it can be something that it's very innocent and it comes from, from the right place, but it's not a matter of intent. It's a matter of um, making everybody feels uh, feel that they can that they are accepted, and they mm -hmm. have uh, a space uh, that they belong to. Um, so I tend to err on the side of uh, caution. Then I was like, okay, if this makes people more comfortable and more likely to be uh, able to participate, be my guest. Uh, so uh, I do admire uh, Caroline' effort and how she didn't she didn't go back an inch when there was the the uh, the pushback from uh, from part of the community. She is the reason why we are where we are, and I think that uh, the she started she she had a pretty harsh uh, statement in her uh, in her uh, talk at Ruby Day, where uh, she said. The fact that we are nice as a, a, I'm not quoting exactly, so I'm paraphrasing, but the fact that we claim that we are nice as a, as a community, that's not enough anymore. It's, it's not enough. So mm -hmm. what we have to do is put our foot down because, and she has a very good point there. What we do on a daily basis 
it's like we keep thinking about, you know, stuff like tracking, for example, tracking for users because privacy and this and that. In our own privilege uh, word, it's about world. It's about uh, we don't want to get uh, ads or we want to make sure that, uh, you know, an employer cannot find, again, I'm speaking from a position of privilege, cannot find that one day I had a big disagreement with uh, a, a former boss of mine. But there are things that are more important than that. Uh, some of our tools, uh, the the thing the, the things that the community is putting out there, uh, are used by um, state agents to uh, track a dis- um, dissidents. They are yeah. used uh, by companies that sell weapons uh, to uh, weapons of mass destruction. Like you name it, uh, these are things that don't touch our lives, uh, don't directly, immediately. So they are so far away, so far, uh, uh, yeah, so far away from our experience that we don't even realize what we're doing. So such a small statement like yours uh, are actually those those teeny tiny drops that if they become many, then they can move things. Yeah, I mean, for me, the more I think about it, the more more it actually makes sense um, to to put to use something like that that to put it into to thought like that. Because uh, when I turned 18, um, there still was the the draft in Germany, right? Mm-hmm. You either had to go to the army yeah. or you had to do some something else, right? And there was always this this third option of being. I, I looked it up. It's called a conscientious objector. Ah, uh, yeah, so um, we had the same. That's basic. Had. That's basically what I did, and it sort of goes into the same direction that you say, "Hey, I don't feel." Um, ethically okay with basically getting trained to use a weapon yeah to essentially in the end train to kill people and if you think about it you never know what your software might be used for and why not why not put more 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 of your your line of thinking into this i mean of course there's always the counter argument of how how are you going to even enforce this stuff but I'm not sure this is much different than any other open source license yeah, in the end. Yeah, exactly. Because they I mean, were it's... they were untested for many many years yeah. anyway. It's just the potential. That's a and in any case that's that's a very good point. So what I remember is that when we um so when a company wants to uh be purchased, of course you're going to go uh through what people call an audit. So yeah. someone comes and checks everything about your company. We are not only talking about your books uh, or your contracts or uh, if you are uh, okay with uh, labor law uh, and if your office is uh, is appropriate for the people you have in them uh, in it, but it's also about your licenses. So when you use when we went through all our licenses, we had to we had a couple of instances in which were like we're not supposed to use this. Uh, so we had to find an alternative. Yeah. Uh, so yes, it's a, it's a bit like with uh, with COVID. Uh, it's like we have rules out there until they are until there's a check and they are enforced. They're just up in the air. So in theory, you could do everything, but in practice, there's the potential of making a clear statement. This is unlawful, and you have to stop doing that. And if we start eroding 
this uh, this uh, these opportunities. Uh, so we are we are eroding the land that uh, these companies can stand on. If I can be a little bit of a you know annoyance, I already did something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's true. And I mean, it's not only for when you sort of have a company getting purchased. Even even as a startup, if you want to raise money, you're mm. going to go have to go through the same process, basically. Yeah. And it's also a matter of personal integrity, if you think about it. I mean, there we, especially the community of the of the of the software developers, software engineers, like we go out there and we ride a bike instead of having a car, uh, because we want to make a statement about how much we care about the environment. Uh, we want to reduce our footprint. We want to um, buy stuff that is uh, bio because we believe in treating uh, animals uh, humanly and so on and so forth. Yeah. And Coraline basically also gave the example of um, physicists after the Second mm -hmm. World War, sort of being against, um, sort of organizing against um, uh, atomic bombs and stuff like that. Because yeah. it was sort of their field. And I think she also mentioned that um, currently there are no, there's no US company uh, providing uh, whatever lethal doses you would have to give to, to execute someone. Mm -hmm. So I think I, I also heard that in some cases it, they even can't execute it. Because no one's providing them with the with the oh yes quiet chemicals they don't they don't have the chemicals yeah uh, and if they don't arrive uh, within a certain time frame they cannot just they just cannot do it yeah um, so there's definitely there's definitely that so just making things a little bit more difficult for the men yeah and that was the end of the conference sort of I mean we have plenty of stuff to say also for the for the future I think the you had a good point in your notes where you put uh, put out about uh, data types uh, in Ruby because especially that one it's something that it's interesting it's one of those features where exactly like Matt said I don't I I didn't include types in the very beginning for a reason um, but the community the majority of the people in the community seems to be interested in something like that. And if I want to uh, make my language uh, palatable to uh, other people, I had to provide something like that. So there you go, data type in Ruby. Um, and um, yeah, so there, there's a there's a couple of things there that I, I think we can also uh, we can also present uh, in uh, in a further uh, topic because. These are things that are, um, that's a mind shift for uh, for Rubis. I mean, as far as the types, they also exist in Python 3. Mm -hmm. And I'm not sure they really use that much. <laughs> but that's the thing. This also, it is interesting. It is interesting to see if you can really shift. Because it, you sort of need to need to have the critical mass of basically yes. all, all, all libraries need to be shipped with that stuff basically for it to make sense i do remember in the past when i tried tried out typescript years ago and it was super annoying mm -hmm. because there were so many libraries that didn't come with the with the types basically and then it it's just more annoyance than than it actually helps yeah but now typescript is actually pretty okay to be yeah used. i mean these days typescript is more or less the i would say the de facto or standard for a new right? For a new, if you write a new app, then you would use TypeScript basically. Yeah. So that's the that's what I where I think 
it could be something that uh, it's, uh, I mean, it looks like it's uncomfortable now, but let's see. Yeah, maybe that's what we have to put up with. Yeah. We want to continue writing Ruby in a few years. <laughs> and maybe a new language will appear and we'll say, nope, we don't do types. <laughs> yeah, that is true. Let's see what the next thing is. Mm -hmm. But I mean, sort of these these days, the next thing are basically there was uh, type systems that actually are fun to use and interest more like nothing like C or Java, where there's a lot of overhead and a questionable gain, basically. And instead of you have languageless languages like Rust that basically take a book out of Haskell's type system and just make it infer so much more and make give you so much more um, features and, and help mm -hmm. that they s start to make sense, I guess. Yeah. And now it's really the end of it. Because now that's it's a story for another day. <laughs> it is. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So... If you, dear listener, have any feedback for us, uh, you can re reach us at hosts at expandingbeyond.it. And if you want to be the second person who writes us a review on a any yes, of please. these sites, please do. I would like to thank my boss for writing the first one. <laughs> thank you, Urban's boss. Really <laughs> appreciate it. <laughs> and where can people find you on the internet, Monica? So people can find me as always on my in my Twitter uh, lair at KFMolly with an I uh, on my brand new website with updated content um, MonicaG.me um, and definitely uh, on uh, GitHub uh, and uh, Dev2 as uh, Near Night. They can find me also on Twitter as UJH. And I also have a website at urbanhafner.com and maybe I will write a blog post there <laughs> at some point. <laughs> All right. So Alrighty. have a nice evening, Monica, and now get back to work, everyone else. <laughs> yes. Thank you very much, dear listeners. Till next time. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.